welcome to the Hearts Entwined podcast. In this podcast, we'll be having discussions around the secrets which attract lasting, healthy, fulfilling relationships, creating a healthy mindset, and what women should know and understand about men. Introducing your host, Lynn Smith, the Queen of Hearts, relationship expert, trainer, speaker, and best-selling author of the Cupid's Bow Technique. Lynn's mission is to have a positive impact in reducing divorce, domestic violence, and suicide. Welcome to the Hearts Entwined podcast. This is your host, Lynn Smith, the Queen of Hearts. And today, listeners, we've got a great subject, which is very, very important when it comes to love and relationships. And that is why is communication important in a relationship? And today's expert is very, very, very well versed in communication skills. Her name is Chelsea Liaga. She's a couples therapist. So welcome, Chelsea. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. My pleasure to have you on, Chelsea. And so thinking about why is it important in a relationship to have great communication skills, let's get down to the nitty gritty straight away and uh, get your response to that initially, Chelsea. Yeah, communication is really like the door that gets you to all the things that you want in your relationship. I think a lot of us want that like deep connection. We want to be understood and we want to understand our partner and we want to have, you know, better sex and have more fun and all of these things. And like communication is kind of the doorway to everything that we want. Absolutely. And I think a lot of people that I speak to, especially women, uh, their main complaint is that they don't feel they're heard in the relationship. Has that been your experience? Yes. Yes. That is often you know, when I have couples in a couples therapy session, she wants to be heard and understood and feels like her husband or partner just like she's talking to a brick wall. It doesn't go inside his brain and he doesn't understand it. So it's a huge common problem in relationships. Why do you think it is that women don't feel they're being heard when probably there may be that that's not the case or maybe it is the case? <laughs> mm-hmm. I think with communication, there's two sides of everything, right? There's the words that you say, like the person who's speaking, and there's also the listener and both take skill. And a lot of times, neither of the two are very well taught, like by parents or school or, you know, society. Um, So it's usually a two-way street, like the communicator needs to maybe express themselves more clearly or simply or whatever it is, or at a better time. And then the listener to make the other person feel heard, you have to do the active listening part of like, you know, validating what your partner is saying, um, not minimizing their experience by saying, you know, like comments like, oh, at least this didn't happen or oh, it's not too bad or things like that. Um, so it's kind of on both sides there that usually both people have to work on those things to get to the point where they feel heard and understood. Absolutely. And I found there's a big difference between, um, you know, how women and men think and and communicate. Mm -hmm. And quite often, I think we choose, you mentioned it literally in your response just now, the wrong time sometimes to approach our partner, because I think men generally are very, you know, ultimate, automotive and, um, you know, one thing at a time is what they can focus on. So if they are currently watching sports on the TV or reading a newspaper or, or, you know, doing something on their computer, they're not in a 
usually as good as women at multitasking and then being fully present to you at the same time, are they? For sure. And I know my husband's is driving. I always want to talk when we're driving because I'm just sitting there and he usually drives, but he's focused on driving, you know? So yes, that's a super common thing. Women, I think just from like evolution are better at multitasking because you have to when you have a kid or kids and all the things. And um, men are usually more one task minded, which is okay. It's not good or bad, but it's just something we kind of have to accept and work with. Most definitely. So I think sometimes it's a case of women choosing their moment or actually saying to them if they can see that the partner is occupied, that uh, when you've got a minute, it'd be great for us to have a conversation where I can, you know, have your undivided attention, basically. (laughs) Yeah. And I think women get scared to say that, like, I want your attention. They think that might sound needy or childish, but it's what you want and it's okay to express what you want. So. The research shows that if you can keep a conversation on track in the first three minutes, then it's the odds are that it's going to end well. So, you know, in those first three minutes, if you're just trying to get your partner's attention, then it's not going to end well. So that's kind of something to keep in mind when you're trying to get your partner's attention and choose the right time. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And you can make a bit of a joke about it. I mean, I've joked with my (laughs) ex-partner, you know, previously that, um, you know, when I've just felt like he's giving me the ums and the ahs and the acknowledgements because he's busy <laughs> working away on his computer or whatever. And um, and I'll, I'll, I'll laugh and I'll say, look, look. <laughs> you know, when I can have your undivided attention, that'd be great um, because I can appreciate at the moment you're just, you know, it's basically, he's basically tokenism, you know, the ums and the ahs mm-hmm. and the yeses and the noes. Mm-hmm. He's not really listening fully. Yeah. And he's trying, you know, he's trying or he wouldn't even say it now more and all. Um, and I think that's important to remember with this is like your partner probably has good intentions. Uh, but yeah, it's asking at the right time. And I, I think sometimes letting your partner know, like kind of crafting the conversation before it goes into it. I tell my clients this all the time, instead of just, you know, plopping down a huge topic you want to discuss, let them know like, hey, I want to have a serious discussion about our finances or a quick discussion about our vacation next week or you know just kind of letting them know what it is you want to talk about so then they can decide like am I in a good place to have that discussion right now oh that's great I love that advice so in terms of um what what do you think are the issues because like you say we don't get educated about this we usually don't have good role models in our parents around effective healthy communication so what what do you think actually happens in most relationships that causes issues around communication? I think most of the issues come around either the conversations that we make up in our head. Like, let's say we're mad at our partner for, I don't know, leaving the dishes out. And a lot of times, and I guess I can only speak from the woman's perspective because my brain is female, but we start to have that fight in our mind before we ever even go to our partner. So then by the time we go to them to talk to them about the dishes, we are angry and we are amped up um, all because of the one that we've had in our head. Whereas if we can figure out how to stop that conversation that we're trying to have in our head and just go to our partner right away while we're still calm, then we're much more likely to be able to express what we actually mean and feel in a healthy, kind, respectful way um, but it, a lot of times it all starts in our thoughts. So I think that's one way to 
to improve your communication is keep in mind, like, where's my mind going about this communication that we want, this thing we want to talk about? Um, and then we also talk, talked about, you know, choosing the right time. And another thing, too, it's called the soft startup, um, is starting the conversation softly, easing into it. Um, don't go straight into the you nevers or you always or uh, those types of things, but starting soft and sharing your emotions keeping your voice calm. Like I said, if you can keep the first three minutes on track in a communic- in a conversation, then the odds are it's going to end well. And I think you hit the nail on the head there because quite often we do finger point, don't we, and lay blame and point to our partner mm-hmm. and say you always or you never in a critical mm-hmm. tone of voice, which then is received as, you know, in, you know, I suppose as bad, bad energy by our partner and can then lead to conflict rather than explaining about, you know, it would be lovely if, or I'd really like it if you did this, that, or the other. Yeah. And a lot of times it's just about framing. Like our goal is the same. You know, if I would say, you know, it would be lovely if you could put your dish in the sink versus you never put your dishes away. The goal either way is to get the bowl into the sink. Um, but when you say you never or you always, your partner's brain then is immediately going to look for all the times when that is not true because it's an attack. And so they're going to defend back, which is a normal, natural thing our brains do. And it's a good thing, but it can get us in trouble in relationships because if my partner comes to me and says, you never do the dishes, then I brain is going to think, well, no, last Tuesday I did the dishes and invalidates their argument. And then I'm going to stop caring about what they're feeling or what they're saying, because I feel justified. I'm like, I did the dishes last Tuesday. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's why those always and nevers are just so, they get us off track so quickly. And it's never true, is it? Because somebody doesn't usually always or never do something mm-hmm. in a relationship, unless it yes, really is exactly. a, a really bad toxic relationship from the start. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And then you have bigger issues. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. So have you got any sort of good phrases in terms of um, tips that you can offer to listeners that open the door for a a difficult conversation? Yeah, I think one of my best, my best advice for when you want to have a really difficult conversation is to really First, start by imagining the conversation going in the best case scenario. Imagine the best case scenario, because I think our brain will naturally go to worst case scenario to try to protect ourselves or plan or prepare for that. But you might not be able to stop that. Your brain might do that naturally, but give equal time to imagining the best case scenario before you go into a discussion with your partner. And imagining the best case scenario will probably make you feel a little bit more calm, give you a little bit more confidence, um, and help you rehearse in your brain healthy and calm and peaceful and respectful ways to say things or to express yourself. Because all everything starts in our mind. I, that's what I always tell my clients. It all starts in your mind. Um, and imagining the best case scenario often then makes the best case scenario happen. And if you know yourself, you're if you know you're prone to getting tongue-tied or, or losing your words when you're nervous, um, it could be really helpful too to like write down what you want to say first. You could even read that to your spouse or maybe even text it to them. Um, but keeping that in mind that like if I imagine the best case scenario first, it's more likely 
to actually happen. I love that. Yeah, because we can make things self-fulfilling prophecies, can't we? Because we can live up to our label. So if we're always criticizing our partner, they can live up to that label, can't they? For sure. For sure. And a little formula I often give to my clients to use to make it so that their partner doesn't feel criticized. Because when you criticize, they're going to defend. So you want to try something else. You want to voice a concern instead of a criticism. So criticism is like an attack on their, on their, sorry, it's an attack on their character. They're going to think that like, oh, my partner doesn't think I'm a good person. Whereas voicing a concern, it's much smaller. It's not an attack on their whole being. It's an, it's a, you're just kind of stating the facts, pointing something out about one little thing in your life. So I often give this formula and I think this is like, if people want to listen to one thing, listen to this. It's, I noticed, I feel, I need. I noticed you left your clothes on the floor last night. I feel frustrated when that happens because it makes me feel like you expect me to clean up after you. I need you to put your clothes in the dirty hamper. It keeps it very focused on the actual thing at hand. It helps you to express your emotions and keep it on the facts. And it doesn't bleed into character if you kind of try to use that formula of I noticed, I feel, I need. I notice, I feel, I need. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. That's a great tip. And yeah. um, I, I'm sure that like we've discussed that hopefully we're getting across. It's about what you want that makes the conversation mm -hmm. flow softer rather than pointing the finger and saying you, 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 you. Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. And there are, you know, four predictors, like four behaviors in a relationship that can predict divorce. The first is criticism. The next is defensiveness. And those two things, it's often just the pattern of our communication, which puts us on a bad road. So if you can nip those two in the bud by learning good communication skills, you're going to save your marriage. Because that criticism and defensiveness, I guess I'll share the other ones because I, I would be curious if I was hearing this. Um, and then the next is stonewalling, where you just do silent treatment, you retreat. Um, and then the last is contempt, where you feel like you're better than your partner and they're less than you. So, but criticism and defensiveness is the road that gets you on to those other ones. So being aware of that in your communication and using a lot of I statements so that it stays focused on you and what you need and what you're feeling instead of the you, you, you's, um, that's what will trigger the defensiveness. Yeah, and quite often, I think even when we're conversing with our girlfriends, you know, they'll receive things differently to how our partners, because men's and women's brains, you know, um, respond differently. You know, we are different after mm -hmm. all. Um, you know, women are women and men are not hairy women. <laughs> <You know? laughs> That's so, so true. So don't expect, you know, your partner to respond properly in the same way as you know that you, a girlfriend would, for example. It's so true. And, you know, talking to your girlfriends about something, they're not as close to the issue as maybe your spouse or boyfriend might be. So when when we're farther away from it, it's easy to be like, oh, yeah, they're the problem. Um, and we want to validate our girlfriend. Whereas if you brought the same issue to your spouse, they're obviously much closer to it if it's a problem you're having with them. Um, so yeah, it's kind of something to keep in mind too. Absolutely. And I think it's easy to sort of um, get into the mindset, well, you know, um, quite often he is reactive in a, in a negative way, but sometimes that's down to the way we 
communicated whatever the issue is. Mm -hmm. And it's quite often, I suppose, perceived by guys that it's a criticism or complaint or a comparison which puts them in the, the defensive mindset, whereas we've not really thought about whether they'd receive it in that way. Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. And um, when someone feels like they're being criticized, it's an attack. Our brain doesn't see a difference between my spouse telling me there's something wrong with me and a bear being in the room. Like our body reacts the same way. And you go into that fight or flight mode and your functional IQ drops by about a half. So when you feel attacked, you go into fight or flight mode, you literally become stupider. And that's why a lot of times it is so hard to have good communication or we say things we don't mean because our functional IQ temporarily goes down. Because if you think about it, you don't need a lot of brain power to run away from a bear. You need like muscle power to be able to run away or fight the bear. And so our brain is always trying to conserve energy and use it in the most efficient way. So that's why I think too, personality has a lot to do with this. People who are more naturally calm a lot of times are better at communicating because they can stay calm and their brain stays in that rest mode where your IQ is higher your critical thinking is being engaged all of those things where someone who might be more naturally more reactive or have more of a history of trauma might be quicker to jump into excuse me might be quicker to jump into fight or flight mode because of their history or just their natural disposition and that's something you kind of have to know about yourself and work hard against. Absolutely. I'm glad you brought up the fight or flight because we still have those instincts deep within us, you know, even though those fears that we used to have in the Stone Age, like the bear, <laughs> aren't, aren't, aren't actually present these days. Yeah, yeah. And it really plays such a huge role in our lives. And I think we kind of forget that sometimes, like all day long, your body is deciding if I'm calm or if I need to run away. And even if it's just a phone call you get and you're not expecting it, it makes you nervous and you still get that rush of adrenaline you would as if like a snake were to come across, you know, your path or something like that. <laughs> so it's interesting, isn't it? How that's so ingrained yeah. in us, you know, after all these years of evolution and um, we've still got that natural response that's there. To yeah, it'd us, be nice if we could turn it off. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's there, you know, doing its job, but, you know, usually there isn't a bear in the room you know so we don't mm. actually need to be as fearful or ever fearful really mm. these days of anything that might happen because um you know that that is just an ingrained flight or fight response to what was something that was a real danger in our past isn't it mm -hmm. yeah exactly and i know that people might be in um you know if they are in an unhealthy or toxic relationship they might actually be in a situation where they might be fearful of their partner. So what would you say to somebody who might be listening, who, who might be, you know, reluctant to bring up any sort of subject because of that situation that they're in? Yeah, if you're in a situation of domestic abuse or violence or anything like that, you probably are in fight or flight mode all the time. And being in that constant state of fight or flight mode, you're more likely to make mistakes or say things you don't mean. And then a lot of times that erodes your confidence. And then makes it even harder to say what you need or leave the situation. It becomes this really difficult cycle. So I would just definitely advise anyone who's in that situation to get help, get an outside perspective, get a therapist or a friend or, I don't know, a church leader or something like that who can 
help you to rebuild your confidence and to help you to learn how to express yourself and find a safe place and a safer relationship. Absolutely. Do you think if there's ever a case for, um, I don't know, if somebody is in a situation where there has been, say, verbal abuse or emotional abuse mm-hmm. or mental abuse um, or even physical abuse, where that can be reversed and a relationship can get onto a good path? Or do you think there definitely needs to be an awareness by whichever party is on the end of that to to uh, realise their self-worth and get themselves out of that situation? Yeah, it would take a lot of healing on both people's parts and radical responsibility. So radical responsibility for the abuser to be able to say like, what I did was wrong. And these are all the things that I did were wrong. And I see how this has affected you. And they can take responsibility for that consistently, not just one time, but consistently take responsibility for that and show like real evidence of change, like going to therapy or going, you know, getting professional help reading books, changing their behavior. If you see evidence like that, and it's consistent over time, not just for a few days or a few weeks, but like it's consistent, you can tell they are changing as a person, Um, then it's possible. But I would also say that the person being abused also should probably go to therapy and get some help because it really changes the way your brain thinks, the way your body works, changes a lot about you as a person. And you're going to want to undo all of that so that you feel safe again. Because even if your partner does change, but you are always scared of them, then you're not going to feel safe in the relationship. So it's kind of both sides need to um, get help and change. Definitely, because I feel like, you know, regardless of whether you're the the um, perpetrator or the re- the receiver on the end of that, something like that, um, we've attracted that situation, haven't we? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Usually, if you're on the end of receiving um, any sort of abuse, it's because you've not set firm boundaries and you've not built up your esteem as so much where you feel valued and worthy of healthy relationships. And that's not a criticism. That's just, you know, just, I suppose, the way that's been our pattern due to past experiences and conditioning. For sure. And it kind of comes back to what I was saying earlier about how it all starts in your mind. If you have this core belief that you're not good enough or that the world isn't safe, then if you meet someone who treats you like you're not good enough or makes you feel unsafe, then you're going to be okay with it because your your life, your whole life, your brain has been saying, I'm not good enough. And then this person comes into your life that validates that you'll it'll feel comfortable because it's what you've been doing to yourself all the time. Um, and again, not to blame anybody here, but it's just something to be aware of. So you got to kind of change those thoughts, become aware of them, do things like affirmations or therapy or talking back to your negative thoughts um, to try to change the way that your brain is wired so that then you believe that you are good enough and that you do deserve you know, good communication and healthy relationships and all the good things in life that everyone does deserve. Absolutely, because sometimes we can self-sabotage just on the back of... Um going back into what feels familiar to us, even if that is an unhealthy or toxic environment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, we get used to a certain amount of chaos. And if you grew up in chaos a lot of times, then you're used to it and you're okay with it. And you might get bored if you were in a healthy relationship because there's no drama, there's no fires to put out and you're used to kind of being a firefighter all the time. Yeah, and I think it's important for us to recognize that if that's going on for us, and to realize, you know, what part we've probably played 
in a, an unhealthy or unfulfilling relationship. Yeah, yeah, that radical responsibility again and seeing how your internal patterns and external patterns have contributed to it so that you can change and hopefully attract better relationships in the future. Absolutely. It all starts with us, doesn't it? It all starts with that mm-hmm. learning what power we've got within and there is tremendous power within. Exactly, exactly. And I think that's the right mindset to have is you can't change your partner. Even if you're thinking like, oh, I wish they were a better communicator. There's it, then that gives away all your power. So if you really keep it focused on like, okay, I can't, I can't control how my partner is going to react or what they're going to say, but I can do my very, very best to stay calm myself and use my best communication skills. And, and you can learn and take courses or read books or whatever to improve your communication skills instead of just staying in this victim mindset of like, oh, my partner doesn't listen to me or they're not a good communicator. Like that gives away your power, like hold on to your power and take responsibility and try to do your best to improve it from what you can control. Absolutely. hundred percent agree. So Chelsea, if anybody is listening that would like to connect with you on the back of wanting to know more about this particular subject of um, why communication is important in a relationship, what's your best contact information? I definitely Instagram come find me on Instagram you can send me a DM and then everything else I share with the world is linked there too so my Instagram handle is my friend dot the therapist I love that my friend dot the therapist that's really lovely it makes <laughs> it makes it yeah. sound like you know um regardless of whether they know you or not that that there's somebody there that's going to be really supportive and can understand where they're coming from so I love that you've come up with that yeah, yeah. And that's really my goal is just to be, you know, like a friendly, helpful resource for people um, and helping them create, you know, the marriage of their dreams or the relationship of their dreams, because we all deserve that. Absolutely. And any final thoughts or words of wisdom around this topic of why communication is important in our relationships that you can impart before we wrap up the episode? Yeah, I think I would just reiterate that keep in mind what you can control and what you can't control. What you can control is like imagining the best case scenario. You can control the timing of a conversation. You can control the words that come out of your mouth. You can control how angry or calm you are going into a discussion and really focusing on that because that's where your power is. Excellent. Wise words of advice. Uh, Thank you so much, Chelsea. It's been a fascinating and great conversation. Yeah, it's been a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much. So on that note, listeners, it just leaves me to say that true love starts with opening our hearts. And until next time, goodbye for now. Thanks for listening to the Hearts Entwined podcast. You can follow Lynn via the Facebook group Two Hearts Entwined or search Lynn Smith, inspirational speaker at LinkedIn or email lynn at hearts-entwined.com. That's L-Y-N at hearts-entwined.com Remember, true love starts with opening our hearts.